Hey friends, Joe here. And if you like our Boss Better Now podcast, then you should also be getting my twice a month Boss Better emails. Every other Monday, I'll send you a simple note with advice, encouragement, and resources to help you boss better. Just text the word Boss Hero to 66866 to get signed up. That's Boss Hero, all one word, to 66866. Or you can visit bossbetternow.com to subscribe. Now let's get to the podcast. Uh-oh, you and a member of your team just had words. Things got tense. What now? Can your relationship be fixed? And could the whole thing have been prevented in the first place? Plus, a listener asks for help with an employee who is doing the minimum with retirement just over the horizon. Let's get after it now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and Gen Xer, Joe Mall. Well, welcome back to the show that strives to be food for the boss's soul. If you aspire to be a good boss but don't always know how, then you're in the right place. We call people like you boss heroes. That's our term for leaders who care deeply about their people and work every day to create the conditions for them to thrive. And this is your show. Please welcome our co-host, professional coach, Alyssa Mullet. Hello again. Hiya. I believe I am also in the Xer uh, category. Uh, what is the, do you know offhand, like what is the years of the the Gen Xer? Do you know what it's supposed to be? I think I, I'm, I'm set, I was born in 79. Yeah, I was born in 77. And so the Gen okay. Xer years are typically thought of as 65 to 80. Okay. Oh. Some really? some people put it as like 70 to 80. Some people think that the Gen yeah. X range is shorter or like 70 to 82. Um there's like millennial Xer, right? There's all these different kind of blurred lines now um okay. in terms of some of those perceptions of what it is. But for most of the people who study generational theory, it's 65 yeah. to 80. Excellent. I, I I knew that there was some kind of like subgenres of <laughs> <laughs> of it too, uh, and I knew that I was like on the latter end of it. Um, but I feel like I have an old soul, and I've been told that many a time. So mm-hmm. I I feel like I'm firmly in the behaviors and the attributes of an exer, so to speak. I remember you did that. Um, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was like a generational yeah. workplace understanding how you could function across as a leader across those generational yeah. gaps. Yeah. Um, do you remember? I don't remember exactly what it was called, but I rem- I do well, remember. When we worked together the at, the, at the big healthcare organization that we were in together, um, I had a version of that that we would do during new hire orientation, where we would kind of talk about understanding generational differences in the workplace to basically say, hey, you're going to encounter people from up to four different generations here when you step into the workplace. And before we get caught up in perceptions of you know, values and differences, and I care about certain things more than you do, what we found is if you take a little bit of time to understand the formative years of the different generations, then you actually better understand how and why they show up the way they do at work. And one of the things that we know about generational differences is (laughs) the complaints that every generation has about the generation coming in behind them have been the same 
forever, right? <laughs> you know, the, the generation that's coming in behind the millennials now, millennials look at them and say, oh, they're so entitled and they expect everything to be handed to them and they don't, they don't want to work as hard. And that's the same thing that was said about millennials by us. And that's the same thing that was said about us by baby boomers. And that's the same thing that was said about baby boomers by the traditionalists who were in the workplace before they got there, right? Criticizing youth <laughs> is like everyone's favorite generational sport. <laughs> It's a rite of passage, absolutely. Yeah. And there's certainly differences in, in in how we show up, and talking about those differences are important, but there's not as many differences as people think they are. Yeah. My husband and I were just talking about this yesterday about like, gosh, what will it be like for our son's generation? Oh. Like, you know, like the formative years, as you mentioned, like the those are the attributes that make up that that generation thinking about spending your formative years in a pandemic mm -hmm. and all of the things that he has unknowingly had to sacrifice mm -hmm. sometimes knowingly but mostly largely unknowingly had to sacrifice i i wonder what it will be like other than <laughs> I I decided maybe possibly instead of going full, you know, full deposit on the college, um, you know, fund that maybe I should just split that up and be like 50% of that fund goes to college, 50% to therapy because for <laughs> sure, right? For sure. I have messed this up in some form or facet and He's going to need the therapy. I, I was so going to say almost like the mess. exact same thing. Not that you messed it up, but that we're kind of collectively trying to navigate so many things that we have no idea. Because you talked about the pandemic. And the other thing that I thought about was social media, because yeah. I was reading an article the other day about how this is the really the first time uh, in in kind of the the transition from being a child to child rearing that the parents are completely ill-equipped to understand what the kids are dealing with because the the speed and the pace at, at which social media and technology has accelerated just in the last 15 years is beyond any other kind of acceleration that took place in that transition from child to parent before. So typically, parents, when they're especially younger parents as they're raising kids, are able to relate to some of the yeah. different kinds of struggles. But now... We, we, you know, we didn't have social media when we were kids or internet or, or or phones, like devices in our hands. We had completely different boundaries with schooling and, and friends and social networks. And so between that and the pandemic, you're right. Like the next, you know, we're, we're Gen Xers, then there's millennials, and then there's Gen Z, and then our kids are going to be the hot mess generation. That's what they're going to be called, hot mess, because <laughs> who knows? How this is all going to influence who they become in the workplace. I'm sure that there are some yeah. really smart people studying that already. I hope so. God, we're going to need all of the information we possibly can going forward. <laughs> well, this was a kind of a perfect little tee up for the conversation that I wanted to have today because um, I had this really interesting experience just over the weekend. And it, it made me think about uh, it being a worthwhile conversation for the podcast. I was at the grocery store doing some shopping and I, I walked into an argument between a manager and an employee. Oh, okay. so um, it was in the dairy section if we wanted to set the scene. <laughs> Okay. Where all drama happens. <laughs> That's right. It was near the yogurt. Okay. Um, uh, 
there were two, you know, younger employees standing there talking between one of like the dairy cases and like the frozen food, the cases that are in the middle of the aisle that they they stash things in. Uh, and a manager came out of of the like the double saloon doors, right, that lead to the the back yeah. area that nobody can get into. And he sees these two guys standing there talking, and it was like nobody else was around. I mean, there were customers everywhere, but for this guy, there was nobody else around. And he walked over to these two guys and he said. He said, come on, guys, don't just stand around talking. There's always something to do. Um, and these both these guys were like, uh, you know, kind of slumped their shoulders and kind of parted ways. Um, but the manager was miffed. You could tell he was miffed. This was not the first time he'd had this conversation. And he said something to the effect of, you know, you can always do other things. There's always something else to do. You can go over to this department and do that, or you can go over and do this. And this was also not the first time that this employee had heard this. And for whatever was going on with this employee, it was clear that at this moment, pardon my French, he had no more shits to give. Yeah, yeah. Because when the manager said, you know, you can go over there, you can go over to, to, to um, I think he said the deli. You can go over to the deli and you can, you can blah, 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 whatever it was he said. And the employee just said, that's not my department. And that stopped the manager in his tracks. And the manager just kind of turned on this guy and said, what? No, it's all your department. And the employee turned his back on the manager, went like in the dairy case. He's stocking the yogurt. And he was like, "Uh, no, sorry, not my department, not my problem. And it just escalated from there. And the manager was like, well, you know what? If you're so exhausted and you're having so much trouble today, just leave. Just go. Because, we, you know, that's not going to work here. And I, I literally felt trapped between these two guys with my cart, and I, it was just awkward all around. But, of course, I immediately was thinking through, like, from a leadership perspective, like, oh, man, this went bad in seven different ways. Like, we, we've got we to we talk about this. So, first of all, Alyssa, has this ever happened to you where – like, I feel like for this manager, he probably felt it escalating, but it was like a car going downhill with no brakes, Right. It's just you're you're in it. It's running. There's a crash coming, and and you put your hands up and hope that there's no permanent damage. Have you ever been in a moment like that with someone at work? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the I will say that luckily, <laughs> luckily, at that time I had not firmly tapped into my rage as an outlet. <laughs> Um, and I, I think that that's probably what saved me and my professional career, you know, looking back, uh, what happened whenever I got and for lack of a better term, but it's the reality of how it feels in my body triggered. Okay. Uh -huh. Which by what you're saying here, the, how you dial, how you, uh, detailed the dialogue, I can definitely see and feel. Feel that manager getting triggered <laughs> yes, yes. out of the words that were coming out of this guy's mouth, right? When I got triggered previously in the work environment, that anger or that responsiveness either turned into tears or yeah. uh, most of the time I just shut down. Yeah. I got quiet. I did not say anything. Um, I've never had uh, that occur uh, from from me to some to one of my employees, 
but I've had it happen from my boss to me routinely. Yeah. Right. And so being on the receiving end of, of what that feels like, I just shut down. I did not respond. I did not. Your boss got angry and you could see her or him escalating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And not even that they would. I would perhaps I triggered them in in some way that I was unaware that a landmine that I should have, you know, (laughs) not said. You pushed a Um, button. Yeah. Um, And. They then unleashed in kind what the, how they truly felt about the situation and about me and my mm-hmm. actions and boom, 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 boom. So mm-hmm. it, it became this vortex of like, uh, nobody's going to get out of here. Like mm-hmm. there's no way out except for down. Yes. So when you're witnessing this, watching it swirl the bowl of crap (laughs) what you're seeing it happen did you want to go up to them and be like hey guys let's do a timeout i can mediate this for us right now (laughs) listen we've got a great podcast that you should listen to (laughs) it, it was one of those moments where i felt badly for both of them but yeah. in the moment, you know, just based on everything that I do for a living and what I believe, the responsibility for it felt on the manager's shoulders in that moment. Yep. Um, so yeah. let, let me first say that in most cases, I have no problem with a manager getting angry with an employee and letting them see that their behavior or their actions or their words have made them angry. That is a legitimate consequence at times of – the, the choices or the behavior of a person. As yeah, long I mean, we bring as, our full, go ahead. Sorry, we bring our full selves yeah. to the workplace and we are allowed to have the full spectrum of emotions. Absolutely. Right. And not all conflict is bad. That's right. That's right. Right. Um, and my caveat to that is as long as the showing of that emotion doesn't do harm. Right. Mm-hmm. The the you cannot rob a person of their dignity. Right. We can't call people names or like talk down to them in a way that does harm. Uh, and so that's the caveat for me. Um, I think that, however, in almost every case, a manager is going to be more successful when they have a controlled response instead of an emotional reaction. So if we check ourselves and we notice that we're in the middle of a moment where we are just letting fly unchecked, we're letting emotions drive what happens next, we have less control. And so there's a greater likelihood that we could do harm. So, you know, I think what a lot of people might be wondering is, okay, Joe, what should that manager have done in that circumstance when that employee made the flippant comment about that's not my problem or that's not my job? Um I really had no problem with what the manager said. Hold on, excuse me? No, it's all its all your job. It's all your department. Now, I would have liked the manager to have stepped closer to that person and said that quietly instead of it kind of growing in volume. But as soon as the employee started to escalate, what I would like to have seen is had the manager say, you know what? Let's say his name was Jim. You know what, Jim? You're obviously tired and you're not feeling well. So I think it's best that we stop now and pick this up again when we're both in a better place and then walk away. Right. You mm. walk away and you give both of those parties a chance 
to take a breath and to cool down. What do you think? Yeah, this is what I was thinking whenever I was saying that, you know, I hadn't fully tapped into my rage previously, and that's probably what saved my my job. Like, now, given my ability to very quickly tap into rage and anger as a response, um, I think that knowing when you feel that in yourself, where you can move from a controlled response yeah. to an emotional reaction as you delineated yeah. those two knowing whenever you're you're encroaching upon the other and giving yourself the gift of time yes. to say you know what i don't have to respond that, that's the, that's the most beautiful thing you can take a time out say that say you know what I am at a point in my reaction to your behavior that it's not going to be conducive for us to talk anymore. So I'm going to step away and then we'll come back together at a future date and talk about this. And that's really hard. We've talked on here before about the the kind of the two brains that that we all are subject to. I mentioned Daniel Kahneman's book about thinking fast and slow, right? That we have one part of our brain, which is systems one thinking, which is emotional reactive. It's kind of that reptilian um, primal brain. And then there's the more controlled response, second level systems thinking of, you know, I, I want to have a response and I want to be thoughtful. And in the moment, like system two is not kicking in. This is something we need to train ourselves to do. And so I think one of the first things that, bosses of all stripes need to understand and, and sort of tune into is, how do I know when my buttons have been pushed? You know, finish this sentence. I know I'm flustered when. Like, what do you notice about what's happening with you physically? What do you notice about what's happening with you emotionally? I've actually done this in workshops and people have said, I feel my face get hot or my skin gets flushed or I get a kind of tunnel vision or I feel tightness in my chest or um, I can't think about anything else. Or I get like you talked about anger showing up for you as tears. My wife is the same way, right? When she gets angry, it it comes out in the same way. She shuts down or she gets weepy, right? She doesn't like she doesn't rage. That's just not who she is. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're all wired differently, and we have to tune into what are the signs and symptoms that I have had a button pushed because I'm yeah. not going to be operating at my best in that moment, and I need to know that. Yeah, I, I, I rely on a lot on trying to build folks somatic, you know, in the body, noticing yep. during coaching. Um, I think once we teach ourselves to tune in to what our body is telling us about where what we feel and where we're about to go or what we're uh, about to say, the the more we can hone that skill, the more ability to move from being triggered to being an effective observer of our behavior and our emotions. Yeah. And and let's let's go back to the conversation between the grocery store manager and the yeah, employee yeah. because I think there's a lot of follow-up that needs to occur, to occur and the kind of follow-up is going to depend on the history of this employee's performance. So if I'm the manager, I still may want to get to that insubordination, right? Where I said, well, you could go to a different department and they're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, like that's a problem, 
And if I say, mm-hmm. hey, it's all your department, like I, I do need that person to sort of embrace that kind of all-in thinking if they're going to perform at the highest level. Um, and so what I need to ask myself is, did this person just have a bad day? Right? Is that who they are consistently? Is there a pattern that that is mm-hmm. how they show up? Because how I respond to that pattern is going to be different than, hey, I've never seen this from this person before. Um, yeah. So if I'm the manager, you know, after cooler heads have had a chance to come into play, I may circle back to that person and just say, you know, hey, man, I don't know about you, but I don't like how that went. And I just want to apologize for my part in it. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you as the manager screwed up, you know, you got to own that completely. And the degree to which you were out of line dictates the mea culpa, right? You may have to say, I was out of line and I don't like how that went. Um, and even if you maybe weren't totally out of line, it was just a little intense and you need to find a way to start to come back from that. Even if you weren't out of line saying, hey, I don't like how that went. And I want to own. I want to own my part in it. Is still an yeah. olive branch. I, I I like that phrasing a lot um, because for the most part, <laughs> most of us can rein it in before we get to the screaming part, uh, <laughs> or, or we may realize after the fact when we've said something that we had an audience that we didn't know. Right. We had an audience, right? But being able to say, "I want to own my part." in that mm-hmm. is is really important to putting yourself back as part of that relationship. Yeah, yeah. And then the next thing is, because you still need to get to the crux of of the issue, which was maybe the refusal to go to a different party, a d- different department, or just the attitude, right? And mm-hmm. so- I might say something like, so so we always talk about like, start with curiosity, right? Assume good intent. Talk about what you noticed and then ask about it. You say, hey, you had a really strong reaction when I suggested that you maybe go to a different area. What was that about? Mm -hmm. You know, we're now we're using some of those boss scripts that we've given here on our show. Tell me more about that. Uh, Yeah. And another tactic is to ask for feedback. You know, you say, hey, man, you know, obviously there are going to be times when you're going to need to work in other departments, even when you're feeling like, hey, that's not my job. So can you give me some feedback on it, on the best way to communicate that to you when we're in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, another great opportunity yeah. to make them feel a part, right? Rather than just lording that power over them. You're going to do what I say when I say it. You're going to go to that other department. That's it, period, end of story. No feedback, nothing. And we're trying to to correct the behavior, not necessarily judge the person. That's a different thing, right? We address the 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 problem, not the person. Um and, and here's the other the other thing I'll say about this, and it goes back to what I said earlier. If this is a pattern, like if this guy's attitude has been this way and this is, you know, maybe maybe we've done this, right? Maybe he had the not my job and we did the, hey, you know, sometimes we're going to have to do other things and, you know, and we've done everything that we just said, right? You followed the Joe and Alyssa textbook and you've had that conversation with this guy two or three times. And then he still shows up in this way, kind of casting off responsibility and getting in your face and being difficult. That's a different conversation entirely. Right. Yeah. Uh, if it's an isolated incident, you respond with caring and humility. If it's repeated incidents, we actually have to set firm boundaries. When both heads are cool, where we say to that person, 
okay, we have a pattern now, and I want you to be a part of this team, and I care about you, and I care about the work you do here, but this cannot happen again. And we need to have a conversation where you leave here with a crystal clear mutual understanding of what happens next if you engage in X, Y, Z. That's not okay. You know, and, and, and bringing a little bit of a firmer tone and more confident tone and a more direct tone to that conversation is appropriate when we have a pattern. Yeah. Wow. The lessons you learn in the grocery store. What a great story. <laughs> Conflict in aisle nine. <laughs> dairy oh, drama. Dairy drama. That's right. Uh, well, I'd be curious from our listeners, uh, what other kind of challenges they have found when it comes to conflict with employees. If you have a question or a situation you'd like us to weigh in on, you can shoot us an email to bossbetternow at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, You know that our show is shaped by the questions you ask, the stories you tell, and the challenges you face. So let us know how we can be helpful or what topics you'd like us to cover. That email, once again, is bossbetternow at gmail.com. The camaraderie question of the week, Alyssa is an opportunity for us to give our listeners a question they can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. We know that bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier to find things in common with each other. So that's why we bring a question to our show every week that allows people to give people the chance to find those commonalities together. And so our camaraderie question of the week this week is this. What is the longest you've gone without sleep and why? <laughs> uh, April of 2014 uh, to all of, well, probably till January of 2015 at minimum. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, okay. Uh, sleeping for no more than... Two hours, maybe three if you're lucky. Uh, And this corresponds to my son's birth. (laughs) Um, And yes, he, you know, he was a, 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 quote, bad sleeper as a newborn. But in addition to that, he also had colic. And what we would later learn at six months uh, old was reflux, uh, a severe case of reflux. After he got Oh, the the baby Zantec or the Prilosec, I don't know, whatever it was. I could sleep for more than four hours at a time, and I thought I had been reborn myself. Yeah. <laughs> so how long was that time then? You said April to January? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. It was rough. Rough, 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 That's rough. like nine <laughs> months. That's brutal. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It was very hard, very hard. <laughs> I, and I know I so cried many folks, a lot. Yeah, I know so many parents listening to this right now are like, "I see you, my sister." Like that is a yes. that is a shared experience. I think for a lot of new parents, and it's hard. Yeah, I, I cannot imagine having to have had to go into a yeah. workplace and function. Because I couldn't do it, I w- I I would have, I would have lost my job and deserved it because mm. I I couldn't function very well at all. I 
Remember, Henry had a sleep regression. I, there was a term for it. That might have been it. I'm, it yeah, might yeah. be no, called something it. else. But um, at, at about four or five months old, and for a period mm-hmm. of about two to three months, he was in these cycles at night where he would sleep for 90 minutes, be up for 90 minutes, sleep for 90 minutes, be up for 90 minutes. And we were like, what is going on? And um, it was, it it just absolutely would grind you down in ways that are hard to explain to other folks. And then when, you know, the pediatrician says, yeah, this could go on for a while or it could not, you just got to ride it out. You know, it's like, oh. and we were lucky that it really was only about a, a two month thing for him. We came out of it after a couple of weeks, thankfully, um, mm. but it is debilitating. Yes. Yeah. Sleep. Sleep's important. So, so important. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what about you? Was that the time for you? Nope. That you got? I I answered this question differently. So the question was, what's the longest you've gone without sleep and why? And I interpreted it as any sleep at all. So what is the most continuous Uh, stretch of time that I had to be awake once? Okay. Gotcha. Um, Okay. And I think this is kind of a fun story. So it was my sophomore year of high school. I was uh, going on a choir trip to New York City. I got to sing at Carnegie Hall in New York City as a high school kid. Um, And the schedule played out like this. We went to school on a Thursday, right, regular school day, came home, ate dinner, packed our bags, got transported back to the school, and got on the bus to ride to New York City at like 9 o'clock at night like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Um, And then we drove all night, overnight, on the bus to New York City. It was a bus full of high school kids. Nobody slept, right? Everybody was goofing (laughs) off and and carrying on. (laughs) And we get into New York City at our hotel like 7 or 8 in the morning, and and we had to check in, change our clothes, brush our teeth, and then we were off to rehearsal. So we had this long morning rehearsal because we were participating in an event with several choirs from other states. And so we'd have a rehearsal from like, 10 a.m. to noon and then a break for lunch and then an afternoon rehearsal from one to four or something like that. And then back to the hotel, change your clothes, dinner, and then we had tickets to see a Broadway show. And so I got up Thursday morning and went to school and did not sleep at all Thursday or at all Friday. And I remember so clearly, this was in in, in February of, oh gosh, 1992. And <laughs> I remember sitting in the theater and seeing Les Mis, which, and that's a night that changed my life. I have a bachelor's degree in music and voice, and um, that's a significant moment in my life, seeing Les Mis on Broadway and looking around and seeing the eight of the 18 people who had gone on the trip, only three people were still awake during the show. It yeah, was me, a friend of mine named Katie, and our teacher. Wow. Everybody else had, had you know, <laughs> fallen asleep during the show. Um, but that, that, so that, what is that, like? 38, 40 hours of, of being yeah. awake. Yeah, that's the longest I ever went without sleep. It was worth it, though. <laughs> worth it! <laughs> I should have made that. That was like a little story time right there. I should hit the story time music was- just to, to you know, keep us on brand. But uh, that's the longest I've gone without sleep and why. And that is the camaraderie question of the week. Well, hey, Boss Heroes, are there leaders in your organization struggling to support employees during these challenging times? Do they often not know what to say or do to overcome employee frustration or apathy or disagreement? Well, we might be able to help. At my company, we work with organizations of all sizes to give leaders the skills, tools, and knowledge they need to become better bosses. 
So no matter your company size or budget, we have options to give the managers on your team the ongoing training, coaching, and support they need to face the challenges of today's workplace. For more information or to learn more about ways we might be able to help, you can set up an introductory call by emailing hello at joemull.com, H-E-L-L-O at joemull.com. And with that, we come to the final segment of our show, which is Mail Time! Alyssa, we have a question from Chelsea in Colorado. Here it is. A particular challenge I am experiencing is a not engaged employee teetering towards being actively disengaged. They're just riding it out until retirement. She has been in her role for some time, well before I joined the organization, and previous supervisors have given her raving annual reviews. As time has passed, and as things have changed and challenges persist, it's clear she is content to do the minimum necessary until retirement comes. Any advice on getting to the finish line with someone who appears to already be checked out? Thank you for the question, Chelsea. I am absolutely certain that other people listening to this podcast have been in this situation. Call it senioritis, call it whatever you want, where you have some folks, maybe they're moving on to a new job, maybe they're entering retirement, but they see the light at the end of the tunnel, and suddenly they are not operating at the optimal level. Alyssa, how can we help Chelsea? So I, I there's... A lot of places that I I could go with this, and I, I think I'll try to hit all of them. <laughs> okay, do it. I, I like broad strokes. So the first thing is, obviously, uh, there's a lot of subjectiveness to the interpretation of doing the minimum, right, sure. and writing it out, um, especially in the face of the past performance of you, reviews uh, that you say that have been you know, Raving. noting, an, yeah, yeah, an exemplary pro employee, right? So that's the first thing. Is is this individual still meeting the essential functions of the job? Because the other stuff kind of like that just not meeting our expectations, is she not going above and beyond? Um, because the reality is, I don't think in today, like today, <laughs> 2022, we can really expect people to go beyond routinely. It's just not within everyone's capacity. There are people, and maybe she's one of them, that are struggling to do that minimum. The minimum is a struggle. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be a, a little bit more holistic in the, the framing mm -hmm. of what constitutes doing the minimum, mm -hmm. truly. Um, my next thought is, have you talked to her? Yeah. Have you mentioned that this is what your perception of her work ethic is. Um, and I, I would also say this is an opportunity not to call her out and use it as a discipline opportunity, but 
what is the legacy that this employee wants to leave with the organization? That's an opportunity to build on, not to try to cut down this individual further. Um, So speaking to the legacy aspect of it. And then my third and final thing is if she's meeting the minimum expectations of the job, you've had a conversation, you've tried to inspire, you've tried to give the opportunity. Um, The third thing is you decide, are you going to let it go? Let it go. (laughs) Let it, you know, um, is this really the hill you want to stake your marker in or is it detrimental enough to the organization and to the team that you do need to make that retirement quicker mm-hmm. in the form yeah. of yeah. discipline and termination? Mm-hmm. So though that's the full scale. That's my full spectrum. <laughs> Yeah. What say you? What are where do you go within that spectrum? You and I are very aligned. I know that um your your point about is, is the minimum all she has to give at this point is fair. And we just got done in the previous segment talking about starting with curiosity and asking, hey, what's that about? And so you know, being able to step back and say, maybe it's not senioritis, maybe it's not, I don't care because I'm coasting to retirement, but sitting across from this person and saying, okay. You've consistently been here, even before I got here, that much is obvious. But now I see that you're here. Are you okay? What's that about? Mm. What's going on? And maybe what you learn in that moment is that they're struggling with some things that you never would have found out about. Or or maybe they are struggling with some things that are none of your damn business and they're not going to share them with you. Um, you know, maybe they just say, hey, you know what, I've, I've got some things going on and you're right, uh, but this is all I've got to give. And, and whatever they say next, it's going to shape and inform what you do next as a leader. Uh, if they dismiss you entirely, if, if they don't show any concern or about the harm that their performance is causing, because I assume you're having this conversation because there is a harmful component to how they're showing up. Maybe it's damaging morale on the team. Maybe things are be- other tasks and duties and responsibilities are having to be picked up and cleaned up by other folks. There are lots of different ways that this could be harmful to the people around this employee. And so uh, the the point that Alyssa made about is this worth making a big deal about of, it's going to be directly related to the degree of harm that is taking place. Um, but I agree, Alyssa. I think we start by appealing to legacy. Uh, we appeal to this person's character, and we appeal to the influence that they have. So maybe you have that conversation about what's this about, and or maybe you end up having to have a harder conversation that includes feedback about doing the minimum or how how you know some certain behaviors are creating more work for others or sabotaging morale but i think there's an opportunity here in that conversation to highlight this person's extensive experience and their years of service and maybe the outsized role that they have in the eyes of the other people on the team i like asking sometimes almost rhetorically hey do you have any idea how much influence you have around here like you know you're the legend. You're the legacy person, man. Like you, you are the the guru and the sage, wily veteran. And so, people watch you and they copy you and they mirror you. And and for that reason, 
you know, I, I need to ask you with your departure so close, can I count on you to cross the finish line with the same amount of rigor and commitment to the work that we hear, we have that you've done here as you have for the last 20 years? Hmm. Uh, and, and then you can have that conversation about legacy, right? And, you know, how, how you are going to be remembered, fair or unfair, is, is going to be about who you were when you left, not, not for what came before. Uh, and yeah. you know that's something that I, I learned from you, and that I know you are so intentional about working with people on in in a coaching relationship, especially people who are about to move on to the next thing, is legacy. And then I I agree if if there is harm being done and there is no improvement, then maybe there are some more formal HR processes that need to be kicked in here, and they need to be treated like anyone else because there's still a minimum standard of performance that that does need to be met, right? Like if the job is answering the phone and they're like, yeah, I'm just going to let it ring. Because I don't care. I mean, <laughs> it's easy to be like, well, if that's all you can give. No, like the job is answering the phone. So <laughs> you got to right, you know, right, answer right. the phone. Yeah. Uh, and so there may need to be that that more uh, corrective action component. But I feel like that's a last resort here. And only if you get no movement in the right direction from the other person. Agreed. We're so simpatico sometimes. Other times you say things like, you know, no ice. And I have to completely disagree, but. <laughs> no ice. What's no ice? You know, was it you that had the position? Yeah. You said something about you have like the very strong feelings with ice and you're, oh, you want ice. Yes. There you needs to be ice, ice in my soda. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're not. You're tepid. I, I am. I, <laughs> I'm. Whatever. I let it go, man. I let it go. <laughs> well, on this, we are aligned. And so, Chelsea, you know, keep in touch. If, if, if you take any of our advice and it works or it backfires, you know, we, we want to hear about how it went and what worked and what didn't. And, you know, that's an education we can all have together. So thanks for the question. Excellent. And if you are listening out there and you have a question as well, send it to us at bossbetternow at gmail.com. In the meantime, that's our show this week, friends. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your listening platform to make sure you get the new episode of our show each week as soon as it's released. And for now, thanks for listening. And we look forward to being with you next time. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.